You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for uh, very late May 2013. And as I like to officially call it, HP Lovecraft Day. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Alone in the Dark. Hello, I'm Jason McMaster. Jason Maverick McMaster. That was Tom Goose Chick you heard there. And um, my game of the week is not Magicka. And hi there, my name is Tabitha Sherrick, and my game is not Superman 64. Is that like the uh, Atari... <laughs> what is that? Is that a real thing, Tabitha? <laughs> oh yes, it very is. It, it oh, very much oh. is a real thing. I recall some awful Superman games. Maybe that'll turn around in the near future. Nintendo 64 uh, Superman is, like, mm-hmm. one of the worst games ever. Now, the, there was... Yes, it's I, infamous. Yeah. Wasn't there an awesome Atari 2600 Superman game, though? No? Mm-hmm. No one can back me up I on don't that? Know. In that case, I'm going to go mm-hmm. on the record and say there was an awesome Atari 2600 Superman game. Oh, uh, great. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, Tabitha, did, did you know that it is HP Lovecraft Day? Um, I, I kind of guessed, considering you know a couple things. Um, but uh, but no, not, you know what? I'll go. I'll go on the record and say no. No. Well, it's not an no official. Idea. It's yeah. No, I'm designating this. I don't know if I'm supposed to file paperwork or anything. I mean, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that. If you have a format like a podcast or a blog or even just an email address, you can declare a day, like such and such day, and then just do the paperwork later. Um, so I'm just going to go on record and say that May, what is this, 29th, 30th, something like that, is HP Lovecraft Day. Sounds good to me. Yeah, and so that makes it all the more appropriate that you are here because I want you to tell me if you guys, if the folks working on Kingsport cases were to print up cards, like with their names and titles on them, what would your card say? Mm-hmm. Oh, like like with the title and everything? Like all yeah, yeah, like what would be... You know what? Let's put it another way. You're in your office. It's got the frosted <laughs> glass door. They put up on the on the name Tabitha Sherrick, and then under it, there's your title. What can I put up on the frosted glass for you, Tabitha? Uh, uh, team Scapegoat, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right, actually, I'm not going to actually be doing that work. McMaster, can you get on that? Can you do the frosted lettering? The lettering on the frosted glass there? Yeah, you got it. Now, Team Scapegoat Thanks, also... I presume there's some design uh, work involved in what you're doing for King's Park cases. Yes, very much. On a more serious note, I would be the head designer and lead writer of the King's Park cases. And uh, yeah. let, let on me just... On a serious note. On a serious note, right? <laughs> and don't feel obligated to stay on the serious note, but we do want some information right. because on official HP Lovecraft Day, I can think of no better day to talk about King's Park cases um, because it's, of course, very Lovecraft-related. How do you explain what this game is when people say... Because I, I hear, okay, it's an H.P. Lovecraft game, so I'm probably going to be shooting zombies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would that be your first assumption? <laughs> well, that's not so many... Uh, and we'll talk about this in a bit, because I personally feel that games have a... They struggle mightily to express the Lovecraft mythos. Most of them fail. Mm-hmm. You guys have a unique approach that is not... Hey, you're going to run around and shoot zombies, and maybe you're going to have sanity points uh, that when you lose them, the screen is going to go. I mean, you guys have a very different approach to what you're doing. So so how do you explain to someone when when you say, hey, we're making a Lovecraft game, how do you then set yourself apart from people who are just throwing zombies in and taking advantage of the fact that Lovecraft's name is public domain? 
<laughs> right, right. Uh, I think that probably what I'd say is, you know, we're trying to actually incorporate his stories. We're not just saying Cthulhu. We're not just saying sanity. We're not just saying zombies, you know, who are slightly green. You know, we're saying we're going to look at H.P. Lovecraft's stories and we're going to adapt his stories to the mystery horror genre. Um, where many, many games, uh, try and just, uh, are, they're quote unquote inspired by Lovecraft, but they're not actually based on Lovecraft. Um, so, so I, I would say to that then that we're just, we're trying to base ourselves off of Lovecraft, um, and more take from his mythos, um, specifically rather than just being inspired by. Now, that, that's all the more intriguing to me because you guys are also doing uh, this concept of an emergent narrative. You're not just going to sit down and tell one story based on the Lovecraft mythos. You're making a game that's built to be replayable, correct? Yes, it is uh, fully procedurally generated, so every time you play it should be uh, different in some way or the other. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, describe for me the, the moment-to-moment gameplay. Like, I, well, first of all, I should say, uh, for folks listening, uh, definitely check out the Kickstarter campaign. It's called Kingsport Cases. You can go there for more information. But assuming, Tabitha, that, that folks haven't seen yet the Kickstarter, uh, explain the moment-to-moment gameplay to someone who hasn't seen the videos and whatnot that you've put up on the Kickstarter page. Oh, sure thing. So uh, basically you start out as a detective, and it is in an alpha stage. Of course, there is a demo available, but as it is in its alpha stage, it's not fully impressive AAA G-O-T-Y just yet. Um, <laughs> but basically <laughs> uh, you're a detective who shows up to a manor house party with a letter in your pocket that says, you know, everybody at this party is going to try and betray you. So it's probably in your best interest not to believe anybody at this party. Um, and they say everybody in Kingsport intends to lead you astray. And it kind of immediately puts you in this position where you're wondering, well, if everybody in Kingsport intends to lead me astray, aren't you included? Are the people in the manor actually trying to do this? So right from the start, you have a mystery to solve. And the game just gives you full, you know, takeover of how you want to do that. So from talking to the manor house guests to uh, snooping about and finding clues, uh, I mean, those are your options. Uh, You know, you collect clues, you solve the mystery, you talk to people to get more information. So it's very mystery, mystery driven. Uh, Uh So solving the the case, that's the that's the Kingsport cases, the, the name there. And it plays from a first person perspective. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, we thought that we we toyed with the idea of doing a third person perspective, but we we did not feel that it was as immersive of you know being right in the camera when that monster uh, jumps out at you, right? So, I mean, that's yeah. There's definitely something to uh, one of the schools of thought about making a horror game is that a third person perspective gives you much more situational awareness. You, you know, when you're in that first person perspective, it definitely. You, you know, it, you, it it lets the the designer uh, play with the limitations more, uh, and you actually see that a lot in like found footage movies. That's part of the point of a found footage movie. It's what if you experience this horror movie from a first person perspective. Uh, right. So, so you guys have done that. Tell me about uh, who you guys are. Who who are the folks working on Kingsport cases besides the team scapegoat Tabitha Sherrick? <laughs> Yes, well, uh, we're Machines in Motion. Um, that's the, the name that we've decided to go by, because uh, we like machines, and machines generally are in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we have Conrad Nelson, who is our 3D our 3D artist and programmer. He also uh, is the team jester, as it were. He makes a lot of jokes. Um, <laughs> possibly also the team optimist, you know, always up there. Uh, then we have Andrew Stanek, who I believe that you talked to a little bit before, Tom. Um, and he is our producer, a PR awesome guy, and our uh, another programmer of ours. And he is definitely, I would say, he's our very devout leader. Our very, we're going to get this done and be awesome type guy, which we all love here. Uh, and then we have some awesome contractors, um, Jonathan Pape and Matthew Cowdery, um, who respectively are our audio artists and concept artists. Now, as the writer for this, uh, I imagine you've set out quite the task for yourself, considering that every time somebody plays, you can't rely on, on the same narrative framework. Like, it seems to me like you're writing a bunch of modules that fit together in different ways. Is, would that be an accurate way to look at it? That's a very accurate way to look at it, yes. Um, it's definitely uh, – the idea actually came – I. Uh, I, dis I started working on something like this when I went to college at um, University of uh, California, Santa Cruz. And one of the PhD projects there that I worked on had a formula really similar to this. So they were trying to make quests more interesting by having them be dynamic and emergent rather than, you know, static and straightforward. Um, and so I've actually had quite a bit of experience working in this area. And, you know, we adapted it to rather than just quests, you know, telling an entire story with it. And it, it definitely requires, I mean, I would say that a fair bit of my work is uh, outlining or, you know, uh, story puzzles. So if this happens, how will this happen? If that happens, how will it affect this? And, you know, so really I have, <laughs> I almost wish you could see, I have this huge board in my room just full of sticky notes connecting everything to each other. Kind of like, you know, in the Sherlock Holmes movie, how he has all the, <laughs> the stuff on Moriarty up there. It's kind of like that. And that's just for one. That's just for one story arc. And our game uh, intends to boast six, uh, including a uh, a couple overarching stories that pull the smaller stories together. Um, and, and while it is a really big, daunting task, it is an incredible amount of fun um, doing all this outlining and uh, puzzle work. Um, so it, it is a lot, yeah. But you know, it's a really supportive team, and, and I enjoy this kind of stuff. It's fun. Now tell me how, because I'm, I'm certainly intrigued at the approach, and it seems like the approach could be used to work for, for any kind of investigative fiction. Like this could be a Sherlock Holmes thing. This could be uh, a uh, who's the who's the the lady detective from Agatha Christie, M Marple? No, who am I thinking of? McMaster, uh, help me out here. McMaster, who are Agatha Christie's main protagonists? Uh, I thought they were her fists, uh, <laughs> the loser and the dozer. <laughs> Uh, well, there's Hercule Poiret. McMaster, what oh, country oh. is is he from, by the way? Um, say France. Hmm. Say France. It's France. Wrong. Belgium. Oh. <laughs> oh that was tricky. I, 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 always the street. I can easily trip up McMaster. Uh, uh, so uh, so this, this could work with any sort of investigative or unfolding story. And in fact, Tabitha, it, it reminds me in a way, there was a Westwood game from, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, it was a Blade Runner licensed game <laughs> where every time you played, a, a different character was the replicant. Um, and it, this sounds like a cool approach. I, I 
never heard any. I, I haven't heard that it's a particularly good game, but I love that concept that each time you play, the identity of the replicant changes, and that really taps into what's cool about Blade Runner. You know, what does it mean to be human? Right. What does it mean to be a replicant? Uh, so, with this approach you, you're taking, tell me a bit about how you're trying to make it distinctly Lovecraft. Right, right. Um, so, definitely something that we want to keep in mind were the themes of Lovecraft's work. Um, a lot of the themes were about discovery, or that everything in the world wasn't as it seems. So, and those those uh, those worked really well with a detective story, right? Because what are you doing as a detective? You're discovering, and a detective story wouldn't be fun if everything was how it seems. So, Lovecraft's themes work really well with the kind of story that we're trying to tell. Um, so it's not just integrate because about 50% of our work is original content and then 50% of it is very specifically based or based in Lovecraft stories. So like, um, talking about the deep ones, uh, just to throw something out there, maybe a little secret. Um, <laughs> but you know, so incorporating the themes into everything and then basing certain stories off of specifics, um, I hope that makes sense. I'm kind of rambling on here. Well, you mentioned random. You, well, you did mention the the six overarching story arcs. Is is each of them something like the deep ones? Of course, from Shadow over Innsmouth. I'm sure there are other Lovecraft mm-hmm. stories. But is that the idea? Is that yes. the overarching story arcs are specific Lovecraft storylines? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So, so basically, it's again. I mean, some of the smaller cases are also based on uh, specific work by Lovecraft, like say uh, Rats in the Walls or uh, the Kingsport Elders. Obviously, we had to include them because our mm-hmm. game is called the Kingsport Cases. Um, but yeah, so it's you know, it's it's working with those specifics, but then it's saying, okay, so we have this really awesome universe that Lovecraft created for us. So let's, you know, do our own original content in it as well, that, but that also includes Lovecraft's basic thematic, you know, works. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no hope for humanity, like, nothing is as it seems, etc. Um, right. Now, yeah. uh, one of the reasons that I feel that Lovecraft is hard to do in video games is that the vocabulary for interacting with the world in most video games, they're dialogue trees, and you guys it certainly seems like that's a big part of what you're doing. But uh, the average video game that wants to sell a million copies or whatever can't get by on just dialogue trees. So it basically needs something like combat, you know, gunplay for the most part. So you end up shooting deep ones and shooting at the Dark Young of Shubnigurov or shooting at Len Spiders or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. um, what kind of vocabulary of interaction, if that makes sense, uh, do you guys have beyond yeah. dialogue or is it mainly just dialogue? Uh, no, there's definitely a lot of ways to play. So dialogue is one option that players have in the game. So, you know, they can, whenever you go into an area, there's obviously a mystery for you to uncover. So in, in our alpha, the mystery is that uh, this letter promises you that something dark is happening in the manor. So you have the option of going to the guests and saying, so I got this letter and, uh, or, you know, you can, you can talk to them or let them in on your ideas or thoughts or plans or you can simply investigate and it's possible that you know you'll be caught investigating it's possible you may have to lie it's possible that the person you decide to let in on your plan decides to tell somebody else about your plan and suddenly the gossip network is full of your 
your misdoings, as it were. Uh Um, Dialogue is definitely not just a singular part of our gameplay. We we definitely try and put a lot of emphasis on exploration and, you know, tying the clues together for yourself, um, which is a big part of it. And obviously handling any enemies that might, you know, approach because, you know, that might happen. Uh Maybe. (laughs) It Uh, it, it happens. So, so there is combat. Do you can you shoot a deep one in Kingsport cases? You cannot actually. Um, there oh, why not? Isn't combat. <laughs> oh, there isn't combat. No, okay. Actually, there there is not combat. Um, the game um, definitely borrows heavily from the very successful Amnesia: The Dark Descent, um, which created a really wonderful horror experience by making you feel very vulnerable and that you couldn't handle the enemy threats. Um, we felt that Kingsport would work really well this way. However, um, not included in the alpha, but we definitely intend to include it in later versions, is that you get to create your own backstory. So characters might approach you like, hey, why don't you carry a gun? You seem to come across a lot of trouble. And, you know, your responses will shape your backstory. So it could be something from, oh, I just don't think a gun is a very useful tool against outer gods. Or you can say something like, oh, I don't have my gun. I wonder where I put it, you know. But, <laughs> you know, you're not going to have a gun, but you get to shape that for yourself. Um, but in the end, we felt that not being able to fight supernatural forces with bullets uh, was a rational rational and uh, fun decision. Tabitha, you're already three steps ahead of everyone else making Lovecraft-based games. Very nicely done. Woo! <laughs> thank, thank you kindly. We appreciate that. Uh, now tell me, so you guys have a Kickstarter campaign going, uh, and I don't, I don't want to jinx it or anything, but, but Kickstarter campaigns, I know just you're, you're probably on pins and needles at this point. Uh, you've got a few days to go. I encourage people to check it out. Um, I hope for the best for you guys, but uh, do you have any sense for what will happen if it doesn't, meet its goal, um, or is that something you don't even want to think about at this point? (laughs) Well, we actually just uh, released an update uh, a few minutes before this podcast, actually, um, explaining that, explaining the likelihood of failure. And, you know, we've been battling with the reasons why the Kickstarter might not have been as successful as we wanted it to be. Um, You know, was it an exposure issue, which we really don't think it was? Was it a community interest issue? Was it just that our game wasn't formulated enough? Um, if the Kickstarter fails, it's unfortunate, but we, we see the future of Kingsport as indeterminate. Um, we, I mean, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources, and without the funding, we can't get some really important things like software and, you know, more contractors, et cetera, sure. to make the game happen. Well, all the more important yeah. reason, then, if you're listening, uh, check out the Kickstarter page. Uh, you guys have done a great job representing what you're doing there. It's certainly a unique project. Uh, I encourage people, go there, check it out, um, and uh, support Kingsport Cases. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I did. You. And uh, you guys need to go out there and do it, too. And God help you if it goes through, because I'm having an NPC face modeled after me. <laughs> <laughs> Much appreciated. Uh, McMaster, can you oh. think of examples of good or bad Lovecraft games? How do you feel? Because I want to get Tabitha in here in a minute, but uh, I want you to start us out. How well do you think video games have struggled with H.P. Lovecraft mythos stuff? Well, I mean, uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's pretty tough with anything supernatural because uh, games kind of force you to interact in a in a shooty, kind of punchy way most of the time. Uh mm-hmm. So it, it really doesn't work a lot of the time. However, I mean, I liked the original Alone in the Dark. Of course, that was a really long time ago. Um, 
But there have been many things that have done some good stuff with with it, like the Persona games had a little touch of uh, Cthulhu and Mythos or Cthulhu, what? whatever. They did? Yeah. Right. Persona, yeah, the first Persona had Nyalo Hotep, or how do you say that? What? You're thinking of Bubba Hotep, that movie uh, about the mummy. Whatever. Anyway. Oh, so- no, no, you're right. Nyarlathotep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nyarlathotep. Yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. He was in Persona, a Persona game? Yeah. And the first and second one, in fact. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, I mean, hey, the uh, the Secret World had some pretty cool uh, okay, cool. stuff. Yeah. Why did I, and that whole, like, New England setting was obviously... Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm Maverick. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. By the way, I don't sanction that. Uh, <laughs> what, what's wrong with Tom Goose Chick? Well, then I, I have to have something nice to do it. I mean, you could be Iceman, I guess. Thank you. I'll rather be that. Goose hangs himself, and I don't want to be Goose. It's terrible. Well, I mean, he doesn't do it on purpose. Wait, Goose is a quitter. I don't remember that part of the movie that well. Was it an autoerotic asphyxiation thing? Yeah, it was. They were. <laughs> that was really a top gun. Are you lying? You're lying, McMaster. I, I don't believe you. Top gun. <laughs> they, uh, they need to go watch Top Gun again really quick. But I don't think that's in there. Uh, Tabitha, what are some games that you feel have uh, done a good job? So you mentioned Amnesia. Uh, that yes. that was a pretty good. I, was that specifically Lovecraft, or was that just more general horror? It was more general horror, definitely not based on Lovecraft. Um, but a That's game a that one. was based on Lovecraft. Sorry, Jason, did you want to? No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. No, no, it's okay. No, uh, uh, anyway, no, it, it's a very, it's a very Lovecraft feeling game, uh, very much. So, yeah, sorry. Okay. Oh no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I no, that's a good thing. See, I never really, I don't know. Like, I played it, and I got, I got at best like a Lovecraft vibe because of the sanity, you know. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that it contained the exact essence of Lovecraft that I, I kind of wished it would, like some other games that I'll bring up do very well. You know what, um, actually, hold that thought, Tabitha, because I want to, uh, what would you say is the essence of Lovecraft? You alluded to it earlier, but uh, let, let's kind of start there. Like, what do you think the basis is of Lovecraft? What, what, what makes sure. it, what, what, what's unique about Lovecraft's horror versus, say, some something that, you know, some goofball Stephen King thing? Right. So I think Lovecraft's horror has to do with the outer gods. Um, so Cthulhu, you know, the ones that you've mentioned previously, uh, and that these outer gods are controlling humanity in these subtle but uh, unseeable ways. And that, you know, we're all, humanity is just walking around completely blind, and yet when they get a glimpse of the beyond, they go absolutely insane. And there's really no hope for the human race because we can't really get anywhere without going insane or being completely ignorant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has to do with these outer gods and their controlling our domain. Um, and that's something I don't think Amnesia really expressly had. And I want to I actually expand on that a bit, Tabitha, because what, one of the things that I'm fascinated with uh, in terms of the genre of horror is what does this specific monster or horror or theme, you know, what human anxiety does it express? Um, we've talked a lot about zombies because zombies are really big in video games and, and zombie mythology. It's it's unique to our it, it's the creation of our generation. And I think it's an expression of the fear of decay and disease and and collectivism. Uh, uh, 
so so zombie is like the zombie horror comes from that. I think of Lovecraft, and he's a few generations back, as being this horror expression of existential despair. You, you know, mm-hmm. here is a mythology. Most mythology is created uh, to address, you know, why do I matter in the universe? Why is my experience important? Or what significance does it have? Mythology answers that question. The mythology of H.P. Lovecraft is the exact opposite of, of that in that it says your experience doesn't matter. The cosmos mm-hmm. is – it's not It's not even – you mentioned the outer gods controlling the human Humanity, and that's part of it. But I think the, the more horrifying thing in Lovecraft is the the reality of the cosmos isn't hostile to you; it's indifferent. It just doesn't even care. Uh, you know, the, right. a lot of early mythology came of man looking up at the stars and and seeing this vast expanse and interpreting it as you know the eyes of God or the fairy dust from the creation of of the universe or something. And then science mm-hmm. looked out there and saw this this vast gulf. And Lovecraft sort of uh, creates this idea that that vast gulf is so completely indifferent to you. It sort of plays on what we know from science. A worst-case scenario is that there's nothing there. It doesn't care about you, and, and, and it's hugely powerful, and it would just as soon step on you as, as eat you. Um, no, absolutely. So, you're, you're hitting a nail on the head there. Uh, and, and I think that's really hard. To, to express, though, in, in a video game, uh, what you guys are doing, this idea of making it about the horror of discovering that, um, you know, and that's why a lot of uh, interpretations of Lovecraft appropriate detective fiction uh, is, you know, what if because Lovecraft wasn't necessarily about detectives, but it was about people learning this horrible stuff. Right. Uh, and a, a detective is a great means for that. Like, I'm hired to investigate this. Um, so ha- that's like really tough to express in, in a game is how do I reflect the horror of realizing that I don't matter? <laughs> and that's just a tough thing for a game to tackle. Um, <laughs> right, right. All right, so yeah, so I'm sorry, I hogged the discussion enough, but Tabitha, now I want to hear what what do you think are some games that that do express what's unique to Lovecraft? Yes, well, I I really have, I mean, other than a few board games, um, I have one that I hold as the pinnacle of Lovecraft in video games, which is Eternal Darkness. Have either of you played that? I was afraid you were going to say that. Yeah, that's her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you ready? You ready for this debate? I want to hear. Yeah, that's one where I I respect what Silicon Knights was trying to do, but I feel there was just way too much zombie shooting. um, And that Mm -hmm. was the bulk of the vocabulary. But but explain, because what you're about to talk about, I do admire a lot. So explain what it does that's unique, because I do love this part. Sure. So I think what I, I think it really captured, you know, the essence of Lovecraft. It, it obviously borrowed strongly from his works. You know, the Tome of Eternal Darkness is very obviously the Necronomicon. Uh, the three gods that govern um, the domain um, couldn't be linked to different Lovecraft gods, or, or at least seem to be outer gods with that kind of control of the domain, battling over Earth feel. And um, that all the characters, or many of the characters, were based out of Rhode Island, um, which is obviously uh, a place of Lovecraft infamy, um, is all is all very linked to Lovecraft. So, you know, the second that you pick up the game, if you know anything of Lovecraft at all, you start evaluating it uh, with this sort of literary nitpicky eye of, okay, what about this is really screaming Lovecraft? Um, it definitely revolutionized this idea of sanity. Uh, which, well, I mean, it, it was very, it was, it was a very good demonstration 
of insanity, I thought. Like, all the special effects that could happen to you, um, you know, the, the scripted ones where your TV would, quote-unquote, turn off, or your memory card <laughs> would delete itself, or, you know, all the ones that made me, like, 11-year-olds uh, scream when I saw it. Um, <laughs> don't delete my memory! Um, but in, and from that to, you know, blood dripping down the walls and, you know, such like that, I think that it really was able to uh, capture the idea of insanity, but also to capture kind of like what you said, the, the meaningless of certain people. Like every single one of the characters you play in Eternal Darkness end up becoming fodder for these gods and their um, uh, once human leader. Like, I don't want to spoil too much, but the the endings for every single one of these characters are not very happy. Um, I forgot about that. All... You're right. Yeah, they all come to some grisly yeah. end, don't they? They do well. Uh, save, save two. Um, again, I, I don't want to go too heavy on the spoilers, so maybe mute your mic. But a couple of the characters do uh, do make it out uh, pretty okay, uh, and even actually the main character at the very end of the uh, at the very end of the game discovers that while ki- again spoiler alert while killing one of the uh, outer gods, she just simply lets in another one. Um, so again, this theme of the hopelessness of humanity, you do your best and you do everything you can to stop one threat and another one just takes its place, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was very, very Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're like, I could seriously prattle on forever. <laughs> well, you mentioned some board games because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Lovecraft board gaming. Uh, what, what comes yes. to mind for you there? Um, I've played quite a few. Um, one of my personal favorites is Arkham Horror. Um, it's it's just very good. So, you know, again, you play as regular people who have to adopt the role of detective to save Arkham. Um, and you go into other dimensions, you discover monsters, you find clues. It, it's a very fun game, definitely. I mean, it takes place in Lovecraft country, so it's impossible not to be Lovecraftian, but I think it, it does a really good job. The oh, theming in that, the yeah, the theming in that is is just excellent. Uh, it's, it's unrivaled. Just all the little pieces and and even some of the add-ons. The one, what's the uh, what's the Colorado space community that it adds? Ted Gummit, is it Kingsport? What's the board that sits on top? There is there. Uh, oh. I don't it's have any of these. Dunwich, yet. Dunwich, Dunwich, Dunwich Horror. Thank you, my I master. Have, I have that. Right. Uh, yeah, but I love the theming of that, and and just as again a story, a, a game about little beats of story that, that are brought into the game. Uh, they do a great job mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, have you played Elder Sign Omens? I haven't. I've definitely seen it though. So that's it's a sort of a scaled down version. Of, I've only played it on the uh, iPad, but it's a scaled down version of Arkham Horror, where instead of little. Sp- snippets of text there's icons and you're rolling dice um and you almost you all you will usually lose it's definitely one of those things where the deck is stacked against you but you have some of the same characters Mm -hmm. from arkham horror and it's basically about can these characters stop an elder god from appearing or uh, and in the process which of them will die what kind of grisly death uh, or will you just fail and the universe gets destroyed? And most of the time, the universe gets destroyed. Uh, but I like that right. game for how it's a streamlined version uh, of Arkham Horror. Um, mm-hmm. Do you guys good know... know. A, what? What? Oh, no, I said that's good to know. I'm always looking for more Lovecraft in my life, so... My yeah, I recommend that one. that one. 
and also the dice mechanic, like the dice in Arkham Horror, you're just rolling on a D6 or whatever for combat. Or uh, here, you're rolling dice to resolve things. And there's this, there's there's a degree of senselessness to it about, oh, I rolled a tentacle instead of a skull. Now my guy is dead. <laughs> it just feels mm-hmm. it, it feels as brutal and random and senseless as the universe of Lovecraft in, in a way. Uh, right. So, right. Uh, there's also an iPad game which I really like what these guys were trying to do, but I think it's the worst case scenario for how to express Lovecraft. There's a game called Call of Cthulhu: The Wasted Land. Uh, originally on the iPad, I think there's a PC version, and it's kind of XCOM, but in a 1920s setting, or actually it's World War One, in a 1915 setting. Um, and with Lovecraft creatures. So it's a, it's a tactical combat game, and your sanity is kind of the same as your mana, and it's used to power spells. And while, again, I, I appreciate that they're trying to do something different, I just feel like this is this is just the worst way. You know, to have me fight a bunch of deep ones with a Tommy gun with this character, and that character gets a spell where he can shoot a magic missile, it's just like, oh, this is just so not Lovecraft for me. Uh <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to scratch that silent storm itch, but it really didn't do that for me either. Yeah. Uh, what's going on? Does either of you know the deal with this? What's going on with Batman and Lovecraft? Because Arkham is its not a real place, right? It's strictly from Lovecraft. Am I correct about that? Yes. So I believe so. so <laughs> I'm Batman, fairly certain. So Arkham is a place in the Batman mythos. Like at some point, someone came along and was like, hey, we're going to put some Lovecraft in Batman. Am I right? Is that what happened? Well, I think that mostly they were trying to, because Arkham and Batman is mostly known for Arkham Asylum, which is obviously the house of all the insane people, which is very Lovecraftian. Um, so that's, I mean, that's why I think that they initially... Well, one of the big things with DC uh, is using alternative names for cities. So, I mean, obviously, yeah. Superman has a Metropolis. And uh, Arkham being a city in Massachusetts is kind of like a, you know, in the same field, but it's, you know, obviously it's a Lovecraft reference, but I don't, I don't know if it was. Well, McMaster, let me give you then a a geography quiz. Is Arkham Asylum in Gotham City? Arkham Asylum is not in Gotham City now. Can you back him up on this, Tabitha? Oh, I'm so bad with DC. <laughs> hey, I thought I'm, a, on... I'm a Marvel girl. I thought, it was, <laughs> I thought it was on the outskirts of town, like way out, like they wouldn't. So it's in. So Arkham is a suburb of Gotham City. Well, the where the asylum is. I, I mean, Arkham isn't the name of the city, really. It's. Uh, is there a, yeah, okay. a Doctor Arkham that it was named after? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know either. I was hoping, McMaster, that you could explain all this for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, here's another uh, awful expression of Lovecraft, which I think is fairly popular, but I just think this guy completely misses the point. Uh, I'm, I'm briefly jumping genres. Uh, it's a fellow named Stuart Gordon, who's known for a movie called Reanimator, and after that he did a movie called From Beyond. Um <laughs> And I just think, you know, he does interesting horror movies, but he introduces this weird aspect of sexuality into Lovecraft, which, by my readings of Lovecraft, doesn't even exist. As far as I can tell, from reading Howard Phillips' Lovecraft works, the guy's never even met a woman. Uh, So uh, (laughs) 
So uh, Stuart Gordon has all these like weird bits where an actress named Barbara Crampton gets like possessed by she gets like super sexed by Cthulhu or something. So he does all these like weird expressions of Lovecraft that uh, are interesting, but I feel not really true to the source material. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, that doesn't sound quite accurate to the uh, to the wonderful offer. Though though he did meet a woman. He was actually married. Just to just to just to be oh. fair to him for a moment. I wonder yeah, what his so wife thought of. Oh, what what did she do? Do we know? I I honestly I don't know. I could Google you know, it. Back then, she might have been a full. <laughs> I mean, it was a very different time. So, uh, oh well, good for him. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. Uh, good. He was a fairly yeah. funny. He's he's not. I wouldn't say he was an attractive man. I mean, I I I can never tell by those old pictures. You know, everybody looks kind of funky. It must be the black and white. I'm not sure. I guess so. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Those daguerreotypes don't do justice, I'm sure. Uh, All right. Here you go, Tom. It's the Elizabeth Arkham Asylum for the Criminally Insane. (laughs) Master Googled it. Ah. It is named named after someone in, like, you know. So, obviously, it's a Cthulhu reference by insanity. So, you're correct. I, I don't know. All right, so then uh, Arkham is not in is not so it is in Gotham City because I seem to recall McMaster flying around in DC Universe Online and being able to fly over to Arkham <laughs> Asylum. I'm pretty sure my little well, flyy character could do that. Well, I'm saying it's not downtown. It's not the theater district. It's like it's, a, it's well on the outskirts of town. Is what. I'm Fair point. Okay. Uh, uh, I also want to ask about something else. Uh, so I think one of the reasons that I, I really love Cthulhu, just the dude, um, there's something about that mind flayer aesthetic, you know, just this creepy monster who's got like tentacles where his mouth is. Is that, mm-hmm. is that does that come from anywhere besides Lovecraft? Like, did a mind flayer exist before Cthulhu or is a mind flayer just a D&D expression of, of Cthulhu? Does anyone know? Spelljammer. What's no, that? I, 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 you don't know what Spelljammer is? Oh, come on, Tom. Isn't that a D and D? Yeah, like, Tom. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a D and D property. They like they had a fly a ship. I know, McMaster. You fly a ship through the yeah. astral plane, right? Right, right. But mind flayers are like the main bad guys. Uh, ah. kind of the bad guy fodder in those games. Mind flayers also in um, Dead Gummit. What's that brutally difficult dungeon crawling game? Uh, Oh, for Pete's sake, help me out here, McMaster. What is that thing called? Dark Souls. Dark Souls, Dark Souls thank you. I thought of it before you told me, just for the record. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but there are the mind players in that. But I, I, I just love that freaky look. Like something that has an octopus for a head, that's just weird. They're a nightmare in that game, too. And, and Demon Souls, that's what it is. Not Dark Souls, Demon Souls. This is what uh, I'm thinking of the, for the prison. Yeah, yeah you got me. Yep, definitely got me. Yeah. Doesn't, uh, doesn't Star Wars have a rift? Yeah, sorry, no, I'm just thinking out loud here. Wait, is there is there a mind flare in Star Wars? No, oh, there's there's a, a race of alien who who basically have like the kind of octopus head look, kind of like in Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, right, like, right. Master, you know all about Star Wars. What what alien is that? Uh, do I? Um, I I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> I think it starts with a Q, like a. Something. Anyway, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably not it. <laughs> McMaster, that's a sandwich. Let's try. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, any other great Lovecraft games that uh, that that we should uh, be aware of? 
I mean, there's a lot of great Lovecraft-inspired games, but if I had to go with another game that I felt really took the essence of Lovecraft, it would be another board game called uh, Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Have you guys oh, tell me, played tell that? Tell me about this. I've heard the title, but I haven't... McMaster, do you know yeah, this game? I haven't played it, now. I'd like to hear about it. Okay, it's it's uh it's kind of like the board game equivalent of the Kingsport cases actually, um, because you you start on this tiny little square of a board and as you explore you put down more tiles of the board randomly so it kind of uh, uh you randomly generate your board as you play and uh, it has like a, this huge storybook um, which is like I think there's like there's a, a stupid number of stories in there that um, are the results of how you explore the the mansion that you're in. Um, but it's very, it, it's, it's very Lovecraftian, but it's also very, you know, Poe, and, uh, it's very, uh, what's a good word for it? Well, I guess it just has, like, the zombies, the werewolves, the vampires, it, it has everything. It's just mm-hmm. a phenomenal horror board game. Mm-hmm. Um, Is it, but also so it's, Lovecraft. it's co-op, though, right? Yes. Uh, well, until the end, uh, it is called Betrayal of the House on the Hill. So for the first half, you're all on the same team. And then uh, when the, I think it's called the Omen happens, or like the, the thing that's the catalyst for the second half of the game starts, uh, one of the players becomes the betrayer. And uh, uh, both sets, the betrayer and the rest of the players, get separate objectives that they must complete on the board. It, it's, it sounds complicated, but it's, it's actually very straightforward and a really good time. I'll I'll play if I can betray McMaster. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, good. So there's some Lovecraft. Uh, if you want more good Lovecraft games, be sure to check out uh, the Kingsport Cases Kickstarter page. Um, head over there, support them. You've got a few more days, so uh, get your butt over there. Uh, now let's talk, you guys about some games of the week. McMaster, why don't you start us out, because I know you're eager to tell us what level you are in World of Warcraft. Uh, my game of the week is World of Warcraft. I knew it. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, my game... Uh, I, how do you even say this? Is it Roos or Rios or Dino? <laughs> there is. There's two different games. There's a game called Roos, which is... Uh, that's, from, <laughs> that's not that it. Okay. Then there's a game called Deus Ex. Is that it? That's not it. Okay. Then there's a no. game... <laughs> There's a game called. I mean, no. I... Uh, what, so I guess Reus, maybe. Reus, how... is that it? Maybe. And it uh, has I... gods. Actually, it doesn't have yeah. gods, does it? It has a planet like and giants. giants. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're kind of gods. I mean, you know, but still. Uh, yeah. No, I, I picked this up after I was uh, reading up uh, your thoughts on the game, and uh, I really like it so far. Um, mm-hmm. I've only played. Uh, a few rounds, um, but uh, everything seems to work pretty well uh, as a game design. It's a uh, hold it's on, actually, Professor. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down so they can put that on the box. Everything seems to work pretty well. Oh, Tom. Jason T. <laughs> Master. Okay, yeah, good. That's, that's uh, yeah. That's gonna be the pull quote on the on the, <laughs> in the Best Buy uh, box. Yeah, uh, <laughs> McMaster, Which god is your favorite? Or not gods? Which giant is your favorite? Actually, in a give us it's a thumbnail sketch of how it works. Okay, so twenty words or less, McMaster. You start on a barren planet, and using giant aspects, you populate the planet and make it habitable. Uh, you came in at twenty-two words. Sorry. Oh, you have to work on that. So, uh, which is your favorite giant? Then, come on, you've got to pick one. 
Um, I think my favorite. Uh, oh God, it's hard to pick because I like I like them all, but I, I think I like the. Uh, I gotta go with like the swamp guy. Nope, you gotta pick another one. That's my. All right. Uh, I like the uh, the I like I like them all, but I guess like the either the mountain giant or the crab dude. Okay, you, you can have one of those. The swamp giant just looks kind of so sad and forlorn. I feel most yeah. sorry for him. He's pretty awesome, yeah. Um, but the whole the whole purpose of the game is that you can use these uh, these aspects. Uh, there's the mountains, the the swamp, the crab guy that creates oceans, and uh, the forest. Uh, guy who creates uh, forest and uh, you use them to terraform the outside of this planet and create a uh, habitation for different uh, tribes of people and the people will start to build little projects and you can help them along with their projects by giving them different resources and each of your aspects can affect different resources depending on uh what has been planted and, and what unlocks you have at a time so that you can you have like a basic mine and that can transmute into or transform into two other uh, types of mine and from there you might get to a more advanced one etc uh, etc et and, and, and they all provide one of the three basic resources which is wealth um, technology and food which is your favorite resource Oh, geez. It's hard to pick. Uh, let's see. Uh, I like technology, I think. I'm going to pick food. Of course you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it, uh, it, comes, uh, it comes together uh, when you build these, uh, these areas for people and, and you help them complete a, uh, one of their great, uh, I don't know, what, what would you call it? Projects. Uh, Projects, yes. When when they complete one of their projects, they will send an ambassador to sit on your shoulder, and that ambassador will unlock different stories for or different uh, options for you, um, depending on which ambassador it is. Like a forest ambassador might unlock uh, the ability to create fruit bearing plants in the forest god, while he might. Um, unlock a different type of mineral uh, boost on the on the giant for the mountain giant. Now you so called he, him a god earlier. He's a giant, not uh, a god. Remember, McMaster. All right, Molly, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. And McMaster, if you were an ambassador, which giant would you most want to ride on his shoulders? You know, I'm and, going to have to go with the mountain giant. You know, it just seems like it would be the sturdier. Like, you might fall through the Swamp Giant. Right, it? right. The Swamp Giant, you, you couldn't get your footing. It would probably smell bad. But I think the, the Mountain Giant, I, I think I would get I would be able to find more comfortable places hanging out on top of the Forest Giant. Yeah, but he's real small. So you got to think. There's a lot of, lot of uh, steep, you know, drops. The view would be better from the, the big old huge Stone Giant. You do have a point there. Oh, right. And you're less likely to roll over and fall to your death. Uh, right. In the hang- middle of the night. <laughs> you don't want to sleep on that mountain giant. Yeah. There's nothing no. to hang on to. Forest giant, you could just wrap yourself up in some leaves. You're fine. Oh, yeah. You're good to go. You're just you're good to go. But uh, uh, McMaster, what uh, can you do? You have a sense for what uh, resources you might have unlocked? Because part of the way the game works is that when you start, you've only got the basic resources. As you play, you uh, meet these objectives. And each objective, they're actually achievements. Each achievement comes with a new resource. 
do you have a sense for have you have you discovered any new resources that you're like yeah I can't wait to use this. Yeah, I've unlocked a few. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, what they were. There was, uh, it seems like I, I unlocked some manner of marmot recently. Yes, uh, I think they're little, they're, an, they're exotic <laughs> animals that live on mountains, I think. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, there's all sorts of stuff like that that I find pretty fascinating about the game. That's a, that's a cool design. Uh, every yeah, every resource in the game, uh, it's either going to be a plant, a mineral, or an animal, and then the place you put it, the type of terrain you put it on, determines what specific plant, mineral, or animal it is, and then right. you can upgrade it, of course, uh, and then as you unlock things, you, you can upgrade to new things. Uh, one of the things I just finally discovered is gold. And gold, of course, it's a lucrative mine that you make. But one of the unique things about gold is that the more gold mines there are on the entire planet, the less each one is worth. It Good. creates, yeah, it's a, a sense of inflation. Uh, so, like one gold mine, aces. You know, that's the sweet spot right there. Uh, if you have to build more, they're not going to be worth as much. Um, I like the salt mine myself. Salt mines, I can't. They give you a little of everything, don't they? Yeah. Salt, you get you get some food, you get some technology, you get some uh, wealth. Yeah, like salt. You know, yeah, everything's better with salt. I think is what they're saying oh. there. Um, I really like the. Uh, they have the mechanic where uh, use uh, using symbiosis, I believe is what they call it, uh, yep. where each of your resources has kind of a radius or like a little set of rules, and if a, another resource of its uh, kind falls within that, they get a boost. Um, so it kind of it, it it helps to plan ahead. Well, it, yeah, and and that's where Reus gets. That's where you know it looks cute. It's an adorable little game. But where I find the most charm is in how it expresses the different resources. Like I mentioned, the gold yeah. they have this model of inflation. Here's one of my favorite ones, McMaster. Uh, uh, rabbits, I think, are an upgraded food animal, for every rabbit that overlaps with another rabbit, it exponentially increases the amount of food, the idea being that the locations then breed like rabbits. <laughs> Just, right. Right. I find that's really cute. Um, yeah. uh, Tabitha, have, have you played many god games? Is that a genre that you fiddled with much? No, not at all. Not at all. You, that's why I've been quiet. <laughs> do, you know, uh, do you know Populous or Black and White? Do those mean anything to you? I know of black and white, yes. Never actually played it, though. Yeah, I don't necessarily recommend black and white, but I, I feel that Peter Molyneux had this idea that, hey, what if you controlled this cool giant and he was your avatar and he interacted with villages and people and resources? And in a typical Molyneux fashion, it didn't quite work that well as a game. It was a cool idea. This game, yeah. Reus, I think is this. I, I play Reus, and I'm like, oh, this is what Peter Molyneux wanted to do with black and white. Yeah. Um, mm. So, all and right, you know, Reus. often overestimate his design. Uh, yes. The fable. Poor fable. <laughs> That's what he's known for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real quick, do you, what did you guys think of? Do you, do you know about so so Tabitha? He had this game called Curiosity. It was an iPad game where you just download it for free and then you tap on a cube, and and after every so often a little block would disappear from the cube. And it was an online game, so everybody who's playing it is logged into the server, tapping on this stupid cube. And he promised that somewhere <laughs> in the center, that the last person to remove the last piece of the cube would get a life changing reveal inside the center of this cube. It would only happen to one person. Um, and then finally, I think last week, 
the last person tapped away the last piece of the cube, and it was revealed what mm-hmm. was inside. Um, Tabitha, do you know about this? What was inside? No, what was no, inside? This is very intriguing, though. Yep, so what was inside, because everybody made fun of him, because as you said, Tabitha, a lot of times there's this perception that Peter Molyneux reaches a little farther than his uh, actual game design capacity can go, so that when he promises mm-hmm. something life-changing in the center of this cube, everybody's like, oh, Peter... Oh, Peter. Uh, so, McMaster, do you know about this? you know what was in there? Uh, yeah, I watched part of the video, and then I completely forgot about, uh, to go watch the rest of it. So, yeah, go ahead and spoil that for me, Tom. <laughs> well, I actually kind of feel like, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, Peter. I actually feel like he kind of had a point. Like, what he put in there was actually very cool, and I'm sure it's very, you know, a, a, it's probably hip to dismiss it, but I was like, oh, you know what? This, he he was not. This was not a false advertising instance. He actually came through. So what was in there is a video of Peter Molyneux. And so far, you're like, okay, that's pretty straightforward. He's talking to the person who found this, and he explains to them, hey, we're making a god game, which they are making, called. Uh, it's another one. I'm not going to know how to pronounce. Godus, goddess, Godus. I don't know. Whatever. Godus will say. Uh, we're making a god game, <laughs> and now you get to be the god in this game. You, whoever found this little thing in the middle of the cube, you are the main character, and furthermore, you get a percentage of the profits. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is pretty cool. Wow. wow. So uh, yeah, so I was like, wow, well, well played, Peter Molyneux. Uh, you, you hit oh, that one out of the park. This person is like, uh, I don't know, like, <laughs> what if this person isn't very main character worthy? You know, I think that's where it's going it, to – right, it might take some creative license to uh, to wrangle this person into godhood. There was an interview with the person. I didn't I didn't see it. I think uh, uh, Nick Diamond, who does stuff on the front page, I think he might have linked to the interview. But uh, the person was interviewed uh, by The Escapist, and I'm sure other places, but I just saw there was an interview on The Escapist. Um, so, it, you know, this person actually passed the video along, and he's doing press, and so it looks like it's going to go through, and somehow – uh, the D- Peter Molyneux and the developers over there will wrangle him into a god. So, mm-hmm. all right. So really let's see. Cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I was very glad to see that. So, uh, McMaster, your game of the week is ha- how do you pronounce it now? I don't know, but let's hear let's hear the McMaster pronunciation of this game. Chrus. <laughs> very good. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Tabitha, why don't you go next? What What do you uh, have as, as your game of the week? Okay, uh, my game of the week is Deus Ex Human Revolution. Whoa! I, when he started to say, yeah, exactly. When he started to say Deus Ex, I was like, no, no, please, no. That's, that can't be it. I had a backup, though. I was prepared. So real quick, tell us what your backup would have been. Let's say that McMaster picked Deus Ex Human Revolution. We've already talked about it. What would your backup been? It would have been Kingdom Hearts uh, Dream Drop Distance. Oh, good lord. Yeah, no, I'm glad that, uh, Disney and uh, Final Fantasy characters don't really. Although I've never played those, to be fair, Tabitha, they they could be awesome. But well, the, right, so the first one's very. The first Kingdom Hearts is what? Is very good. It's yeah, very I liked good. it too. Yeah. Even, there you even go, this, yeah. All right, all right. Well, you guys can have your Kingdom Hearts fan club, but what I want to hear about is Deus Ex: Human Revolution. Uh, why, it's the best why? game ever. Uh, no, you did not I, say I, best game ever. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> I really did. I did just say best game ever. Um, I just beat it a couple days ago for the third time. Um, oh, wait, okay, just, wait a minute. I got to ask you, Tabitha. 
best game ever. Sure. You've already when you said that, I was like, oh, poor Tabitha, she hasn't gotten to the boss fights yet. But, no, no, I definitely. And so you don't it. mind that, like you don't feel because I think that was a wide, uh, that was a, a a common complaint about Human Revolution is that the boss fights just a lot of people didn't like them, but apparently they didn't bother you that much, right? No, not at all. Um, and you might uh, think that because of that, I played an aggressive playthrough, but I actually played passively the entire time, uh, at least on the last oh. two playthroughs. Um, no, the boss fights weren't, uh, I mean, they they obviously weren't half as much fun as the rest of the game, and they were quite annoying at times, but no, I, I definitely don't think it killed the experience, and they were pretty infrequent, so, I mean, you win some, you lose some there. Now, what makes you like this game so much, then? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's just so many things. Um, I really like the themes of the work. So, you know, the questions of humanity and what does it mean to be human? And you can tell this is something I think about a lot because, you know, I love crap. But, um, no, just like what does it mean to be human? It really put like a a plight that we may actually face in the next couple of years really just laid it out on the table. Like, is it appropriate to augment our body? How far are we willing to take it? Like, do we lose our humanism uh, along the way? Like, how does this all add up? And it just combined it in such a real visceral way like the entire world was just amazingly developed and every moment of playing it it was just phenomenal also that soundtrack is uh, i love the soundtrack it's a great uh, martin michael mcnannan or something like that was the okay. audio artist behind it i'm not sure mm-hmm. there was but, there's, yeah, a, just, yeah. there's a lot of great atmosphere in there in that game isn't there uh like just this expression of a cyberpunk universe they did a really good job with yeah. that didn't they Mm-hmm, they definitely did. Yeah, I'm a big fun, uh, fan of cyberpunk too, which is you know when you mentioned Blade Runner earlier, I was like, oh, <laughs> exciting. Uh, what did you guys think of McMaster? Have you played much Human Revolution? Uh, yeah, I played a bit. I mean, it's been a good while though. What did you guys think of their little hacking mini game? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh gosh, I sound ridiculous. No, but the hacking game was fantastic. It was just really fun. You you both disagree with me, don't you? What, no, no, which one was it? I can't I can't remember. Well, you kind of, it's entirely possible to play through Human Revolution and and never really be exposed to it. I mean, you'll do the tutorial, but if you're not building that kind of character, it's something you can usually do a sidestep around. It's just like if you want to play a non-combat build, you might not be that exposed to the combat. So it's entirely possible that you could play it and not be exposed to this hacking mini game. But Tabitha. I actually loved the hacking minigame, uh, so that's why I asked. Is um, I, I remember from when I was a kid, there was a game. There was a, a game based on William Gibson's Neuromancer. Um, the game actually might have been called Neuromancer, but it was basically an adventure game, and you're running around Chiba City, and I forget what you're trying to do. I'd solve a conspiracy or something. But at one point, at several points in Chiba City, you hack into cyberspace, and you're it's it was like a whole different kind of gameplay and you're sneaking around hi- cyberspace and you're stealing data and you're 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 fighting uh firewalls and all that stuff and it was a whole separate kind of gameplay and i loved that so uh they do something similar with kind of a strategy game it's almost like this real time strategy uh puzzle kind of with the hacking in human revolution which i really liked uh you know it, it reminded me of oh, the neuromancer game from way back it when. has like the network nodes and stuff right yeah yeah yeah. you're trying yeah, to control okay. nodes yeah. yeah that was that was really cool yeah 
And it even taps into like your inventory. Like you have resources. I forget what they were, but there were some resources that you could use to, I guess, blow through nodes or secure them. Or it was just like a little strategy game that you played. Uh, and and I loved how they how they did that. I loved that expression of, of hacking. Um, it certainly beats that. Uh, like in, in the first Bioshock, you would play this little tube puzzle game, uh, and that was their yeah. hacking. It, you know, it fit the theming, and that's fine. I can mm-hmm. see what you're doing. But I really liked how in Human Revolution it, it fit into the larger game and the inventory and the, the economy and you could buy the little pieces. Uh, so, I, I, you know, just in general, Tabitha, I really liked their character development system. Just all mm-hmm. the choices you could make. Uh, so you mentioned yeah, – go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I, I agree with you. I think uh, Adam Jensen was really well characterized by the end there. Now, now, you mentioned playing through three times. I'm guessing you were trying to do, like, different builds each time. Is that what possessed you to play through it three times? <laughs> so, um, I kind of have. I'm not sure. Uh, this popped up on Reddit a few days ago. Uh, it was the um, the Dosekis guy saying, I don't always play a game twice, but when I do, I make the same decisions every time. Um <laughs> I definitely have that syndrome. So um, my second and third playthrough, I would probably argue were close to identical. So I played a very passive, not killing anybody, very stealth uh, oriented playthrough. Uh, And the first time I played, I made the mistake of trying to be both stealth and combative. Um, So I had my inventory was a mess. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just kind of like, I don't want to save and reload if I get caught. So I'm going to try stealth. And if I get caught, I'm just going to shoot everybody. Uh, and it ended up being a terrible mess. Like, uh, I, I ended up beating the game, but I just, I, I kind of felt dissatisfied for not pick, picking either or, um, right. you know, stealth or combat. Um, and I found that in the end, on my second and third playthroughs, that I just really love the stealth aspect. You know, I've been playing Dishonored lately, and uh-huh. uh, I, I just, it's really hard to go from Deus Ex to Dishonored because the stealth systems are so different. And uh, I just find myself kind of missing Deus Ex, honestly. Um, right. I really liked their system for stealth. Dishonored right. strikes me as a game where, where it seems like they wanted that to work that way. Like, you can be a stealth character, but if it all goes wrong, that's fine. Just kill everyone. <laughs> it's sort of like, right, right. you know, your contingency plan. Just just take it like a, a combat game. That works. Do that. Uh, right. That's, that's well, the ability like... of levels, Tom. Come on. I can either play the level stealthily or I can fail and play the level combatively. Uh, Yeah, that works. Bonuses to playing stealthily. McMaster, is there a duct that I can just crawl through to go around the level entirely? Um, No. no. (laughs) Yes, there is. What are you talking about? I just have to have the... Exactly. I just have to have the key to it or the four-digit keypad code or I have to hack the door or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, sure. Apparently on the Wii U version, uh, that's what they're going to do for boss battles. uh, They're just going to have ways to sneak around or hack your way through areas so you don't have to fight the bosses, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Supposedly, uh, I don't know if this is just one of those uh, apocryphal stories that gets passed around on the Internet, but I think uh, the folks who developed it in... uh, who, who made this game? It, it was Square Enix. Was I, it... I, it was Eidos Montreal. I don't, oh, thank you. Right. Uh, the Eidos Montreal yes. folks uh, contracted out the boss battles um, and had That's them true. made at a different developer, and then they just folded them into the game. Which, And I think they've even copped to the idea that, you know, that's probably not the best way to design a game, and it sounds like this uh, intended Wii U version has a solution to that. 
Uh, all right, so uh, a little Deus Ex Human Revolution. Um, McMaster, what level are you in that game? Uh, 300. I'm 301. <laughs> I forgot about well. that. <laughs> uh, all right, you guys ready to hear about my game of the week? It actually ties into uh, Arkham Asylum. Uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh, indeed. Here we I'm go. I'm ready, though. All right, so uh, a, a quick shout-out to a, a listener named Kelly Kentner. Um, and I want to say his name because uh, does does the name Kelly Kentner do anything for you guys? Does it bring anything to mind? This might be too obscure. It does no. not. No. All right, no, I'm, gonna give, I'm gonna give you guys Sorry. a line. I'm gonna give you a line from a movie, and I want you to tell me what movie it is. All right. Here we go. I am not going to stand here in front of these people and watch you cut that thing open and watch that little Kentner boy spill out all over the docks. Oh, uh, Jaws? <laughs> yeah, the little kid who gets eaten in Jaws is named Alex Kentner. So oh. when I get an email from Kelly Kentner, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's related to the kid that was killed in Jaws. Um, spilled out all over the docks. Fictional docks, child, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Kelly Kittner emailed me, and he's like, hey, Tom, uh, I appreciate uh, – I enjoy the podcast. I want to send you a game that I've been uh, playing lately. And I kind of thought, oh, God, I've got – you know, the last thing I need is another video game. Um, but he he was talking about a board game. Uh, and so I was like, okay, that's fine. I'd, I'd love to try this. I meet regularly with some friends. There's opportunities to play. Uh, so sure, send it along. I really appreciate you doing that. And he sent it to me. I was kind of dreading it when he told me what it was. Um but then I got it, and I, out of a sense of obligation, I confess, I played it, and what happens, I really like it, and it, it has a unique niche in my little board game collection now. So, what I want to tell you guys about, this is perhaps the worst named game ever. It is called, if you were to look at the box, this game is called Deck Building Game. That's it. That's the name of it. I love that game. <laughs> I played it with a board game that one time, that, right. that, that double game night we had. Do you remember? We started with board game and then moved to deck building game. It was great. And then after that, we came back and we, we played a console game. on Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. then PC game at one point. It was good. <laughs> so what, what you might not realize is when you look at deck building game and the developers of con- a company called Cryptozoic, um, their idea is that this is called the Cerberus Engine, and... You, that would make a much better name for a game than deck building game. But the idea with their Cerberus engine is that they're going to put different licenses on it. So right now, the only Cerberus engine game is DC Comics deck building game. Um, so that's technically what it's called. But if you were to look at the box, you just see a little DC Comics logo and then a big title deck building game, which makes it seem very generic. Um, they have a Kickstarter, right? That that's why why I've heard of Cryptozoic. Cryptozoic is doing yeah they're they're doing a a weird hybrid of an MMO tradable card game uh, that I think might be DC Comics licensed. Is that right, McMaster? Do you know? I don't know if it's. It looks kind of wacky. I, I remember watching the video for it and thinking I might actually uh, contribute to it, but hey, man, it's raised a lot of money. The the game <laughs> that they they've actually released is. DC Comics deck building game using the Cerberus engine. Uh, and what they've announced, I think there is a Lord of the Rings themed one announced. And the idea, which I think is pretty harebrained, is that if you want, 
you can shuffle the cards together and and play a game. So you can have like Frodo fighting Wonder Woman. If that's what you want, you can have a game where Superman carries the one true ring to Arkham Asylum and gives it to Saruman. You know, that that's Yeah, that's the kind of strange narrative thing. So I don't want any part of that. But what I do enjoy doing, because I've been playing a fair amount of Injustice, Gods Among Us, speaking of terrible names, uh, which is a fighting game from uh, featuring DC characters. Um, I've been enjoying uh, sort of watching DC characters punch each other. So I thought, you know what, this will be fine. I'll, I'll play this deck building game with my friends. So what DC Comics deck building game is, it's basically... McMaster, have you heard of a game called Ascension? Uh, yeah, I think I've seen that one around. It's a card game. Uh, yeah. Abitha, do you know any? Yeah. Deck do you know Ascension at all? I do. I actually own it. Ah, well then it's you. A good game. Tabitha, if we were to sit down and I was to open it, bring out this box that says DC Comics Deck Building Game, I wouldn't hardly have to explain anything to you. You, for all intents, oh, wonderful. You have played this because it's the, it's basically Ascension. Um, and the concept behind Ascension is that each character starts with a little deck of cards that aren't very good, and then there's a lineup of cards in the middle, and we can take turns buying those cards and putting them into our deck and making our decks more powerful, and we keep playing until a clock runs out, and then once that clock has run out, not a literal clock, a gameplay mechanism, one that's, once that's run out, we total up our points to see who won. So this so is kind of like uh, Dominion, then, too. We've the difference... The difference between Dominion is that instead of a lineup in the center, Dominion, you've got all these piles of cards, and you just buy whichever one you want. Um, and in Ascension, we're competing for a limited number of cards. In Ascension, I think it's seven. So, you know, when this card comes out and I'm like, oh, I want that, Tabitha, if on your turn you get it, I'm like, oh, rats, Tabitha took the card I wanted. So there's that sense of competing for the same resources. In Dominion, you just all buy from piles of cards. Um so there's also a mechanic in uh, in Ascension where you've got those little honor gems, and those are the clock. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. some actions earn you these honor gems that are added to your score. Once that reserve is empty, the, the game is over. Um, so what what they do with this in DC Comics deck building game is instead of a little pile of gems, which is a score you draw from, there's a deck of supervillains. So supervillains are super powerful. When you defeat one of them, he goes into your deck, and you've got the super powerful card. But then a new one turns up, and it attacks all of the players. It tends to do something terrible to them, like force them to discard an important card, or even destroy a card out of their deck. Maybe they uh, lose special abilities for a turn, uh, reduces their hand size, stuff like that. Supervillains do terrible, mean things to you. Uh, so that... You know, that comes out, and there's a little deck that's going to have a negative effect on you as you play. Uh, and one of the cool mechanisms is some of the cards will defend you from supervillain attacks. Furthermore, some of the cards let you attack directly the other player. So, McMaster, if you and I are playing, I can throw down, say, uh, a super strength punch on you with Superman. What do you think of that? And I'll knock cards out of your hand. I think you better... Uh... You better figure out if your arms are long enough to box with God, boy. <laughs> Wait a minute, there's a God card in there? I don't, you know, that that might be in the uh, the yeah Christianity deck-building game. Yeah, maybe then there will be a God mm. card. Um, but another unique thing that it does, unique from Ascension, that I really like, uh, is that each character in Ascension, you're just yourself. You know, I'm playing Tom, McMaster's playing McMaster, Tabitha, you're just Tabitha. You're playing yourself, you're, you're trying to slay uh, the Avatar or whatever. 
Um, in DC Comics deck building game, at the beginning of the game, everybody gets a card with a superhero that has a unique power. So, McMaster, you'll be Wonder Woman. What do you think of that? Awesome. <laughs> Actually, we have decided Wonder Woman's pretty powerful. Uh, and these cards all have a unique ability that kind of encourages you to tweak your deck towards certain cards a certain way. Like Superman, he wants superpower cards because they have an added benefit when he plays them. Whereas Batman, he wants gadget cards because they have an added benefit when he plays them. Uh, Wonder Woman, she's particularly useful. Like when she defeats villains, she gets a bonus. Like Wonder Woman should basically be when she's playing out there gathering villains. Um, and there's a great synergy. And there, there's part of what's, what I really like about the game. It's a streamlined version of Ascension. It plays very quickly. And there's a great synergy with the different cards and superheroes, some of which is is to be expected. For instance, the Flash has a Kid Flash card. He definitely wants Kid Flash in his deck. Um, Superman, there's a Man of Steel card that lets you take out all superpowers from your discard deck into your hand at once. Um, and since superpowers specifically help Superman, he definitely wants that Man of Steel card. Uh, one of the cool synergies we found is Wonder Woman, if she controls Arkham Asylum, which gives you a benefit when you put villains in there, it plays into her ability to uh, capture supervillains. So you might not guess this, but uh, Wonder Woman and Arkham Asylum go together like uh, peanut butter and jelly. I did not realize that before DC huh. Comics deck building game. Uh, so that is that is my game of the week. It's a nice streamlined take on the Ascension formula. It does some really cool things expressing DC Comics mythology, if you will. Um, and it was given to me as a gift by Kelly Kentner, for, for which I'm very grateful. Um, all right, so uh, there we go. Um, a little Deus Ex Human Revolution, a little Reus, or, or let's hear it again, Master. How do you say that name? <laughs> very good uh, and some deck building game the DC Comics variant so uh, what do you guys plan to do with the rest of your HP Lovecraft day to celebrate you first McMaster I'm probably going to play WoW oh because there is you know what there is Lovecraft stuff in, in World of Warcraft isn't All over. yeah and Fallout hey, I can get to play Fallout 3 and feel pretty good about myself too is there Lovecraft stuff in there yeah, you know, remember is that uh, a very Lovecraftian tower in the bottom southwest part of the map? What, uh, McMaster? Yeah. You're just inventing things again? No, no, no. You uh, you went through this whole uh, building that was uh, possessed, and it had this crazy idol that made your head hurt down in the basement. Tabitha, can you corroborate this? Uh, no, no, I cannot. All right, McMaster, we're going to trust but verify. What do you think of that? That sounds fine. Verify all you want. Fancy? <laughs> Tabitha, what do you plan to do with the rest of your official HP Lovecraft day? Oh, gosh, I'm not entirely too sure. I might try playing some Dishonored again, which isn't terribly Lovecraft, though there are rats. There are rats. Um, There's a lot of rats. Okay, I want to yeah. give a... You know what? Actually, here's a better way to sign off. I want you guys to tell me what your favorite Lovecraft story is. Awesome. McMaster, start us off. Let's say, McMaster, you're being sent to a desert island. You can only bring with you one H.P. Lovecraft story. What do you bring? Oh, that's not um, fair. One H.P. Lovecraft story. <laughs> what, what kind of thing is that? What kind of question is that? <laughs> only one. <laughs> only one. On this desert island, you can only read one Lovecraft story for the rest of your life. You're, you're banished to this desert island. Uh, what, what Lovecraft story do you bring? 
uh, in the mouth of man is featuring Sam Neill. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> you would go there. Uh, I I actually uh, hmm, Tabitha, could you answer that? Oh, most certainly. Um, I I really do like his uh, his novella his novella pieces. Um, but I'm a really big fan of his short stories like Rats in the Walls and uh, The Outsider. Um, I have to say, and it sucks because if I could only take one, this particular one is very, very short. But the music of Eric Zan is my favorite, my absolute all-time Lovecraft work. Man, and, that's one. I mean, I know the title, but I don't even know that one. I mean, I know it, but oh, I, you I, should read it, it doesn't bring it. Okay, I will reread that. Uh, it's I only like uh, ten pages, so. I like the Curse um, of Yig. McMaster, that's not. A, is that a real story, Tabitha? Is he pulling our leg? The Curse of Yig. The well, Yig is a real outer god, but right. uh, I, the curse I think, of Yig. I think McMaster made that one up. That's a it's a short yeah. story. Uh, I would go with uh, an oldie but a goodie um, because I see it as almost inventing a genre. In, in horror movies, there's this genre of going into a small town where you don't know what's going on, and there's some vast, dark, ancient secret in this town, and the newcomer coming into the town, it's a great cinematic device, uh, discovers this secret, and the townspeople are hostile. So I think Shadows Over Innsmouth might be the genesis of that 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 concept. I don't know. Maybe there's one before. But I love Shadows Over Innsmouth. Uh, as... Drifter. Oh, not a Western McMaster, no. Oh, <laughs> so, we're not talking about cowboys. <laughs> Uh, and I also like Color Out of Space for being um, this this almost this weirdly relevant in this day of like toxins and pollution uh, take on you know what if somebody's well got polluted with some alien toxin uh, I like Color Out of Space for that but you can only bring one Tom you can only bring oh, one oh rats dead gummit tabit <laughs> oh you're such it's a it's your rules it's your rules you're such a hard master just bring a Harlan Ellison collection they're really long usually no alright I'm bringing Shadow over Innsmouth real quick anecdote by the way uh, so in um, is it Dreams of the Witch House there's a character named Brown Jenkin isn't that right um, I think it's Dreams Fairly yeah, and, and Brown Jenkin was the familiar of the witch, and he's a little rat with a human face. Um, and I remember telling a friend as he was discovering Lovecraft and reading the stories, telling him, oh, there's this great – I love the name of this great little character. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's a little creature. Uh, read this story, and I just love this name, uh, and I think it would be a great thing to name a cat. Um, so, and I, I, I was talking about Brown Jenkin in, I'm pretty sure it's Dreams of the Witch House, but I mistakenly said Rats in the Walls. Um, so I, I, I was thinking of Brown Jenkin, but I just got the story name wrong. So I said this about him and there's this great little creature and it's a, you know, I want to name my cat this. Um, and then I said, you should read it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but, but read Rats in the Walls. So I don't know if you know this, but in Rats of the Walls, Lovecraft wrote in a very different era. The protagonist in Rats. Yes. Oh God, I know what that the is. Cat's, oh, the cat's. Oh God. Name is not. Yes. Please, please say, do I have to say the cat's name? I feel bad saying this. You don't. That's, that's you what he thought I was talking about as he's reading the story. He's like, really? Really? <laughs> Man, Shadow Cat almost turned out very differently. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you want to know how how wrong that went, uh, look up the name of the cat in uh, Rats in the Walls, and just imagine my my friend's umbrage at what he thought I was saying. But I swear I meant Brown Jenkin. I totally meant Brown Jenkin. Uh, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
It ain't a Lovecraft discussion if it don't turn to racism. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Well, Tabitha, thank you for joining us. And I, I, I gosh, my fingers are crossed for you. I, I really hope the best with the, the Kickstarter. Yeah, you too. Too. Oh, thank and you I, so much. I, I appreciate you guys' support and for having me on the show. And thank you for sure. talking to us about this. I just want to remind folks, go to uh, Kickstarter, look up Kingsport Cases, support what these guys are doing. Uh, it's nothing if not unique, and I would love to see it come to fruition. Uh, so, again, thank you very much for being here, Tabitha. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You guys are great. Master, what are we doing next week? Uh, saving the world? Oh, uh, talking about probably talking about games. <laughs> that too. We'll definitely yeah. get some of that in. <laughs> you're really you're enjoying yourself today, aren't you, Keith? <laughs> Official HP <laughs> love cup day. Oh, sultry saxophone. I like the bass. It's wonderful. (laughs) I personally feel there's something Lovecraftian about this song. Oh, really? I'll tell you, the song it does it for me is one thing leads to another. <laughs> From uh, the House of the Devil. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the Fix song? Yeah. Oh yeah, that she listens to on her Walkman. Oh no, okay, yeah. McMaster. I was, I thought you were thinking. I thought I was thinking of a Blondie song. Oh. Nice. oh <laughs> One way or another is a Blondie song. You confuse yeah. me, McMaster. I can't get my 80s pop straight. No, I'm talking about rap. So many of them. <laughs> <laughs>